This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 441, brought to you by iFanboy listeners. Just like
FBI Fanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 441. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and joining me is Paul Montgomery. Hey there. And sitting in for a vacationing Josh Flanagan is Professor Dr. Ryan Haupt. Hello, everybody. Which animated movie are we talking about this week? <laughs> Do you prefer Dr. Professor or Professor Doctor? I, I, ha- I hold neither title. Uh, I have a master's, and I'm working on the doctorate, so Master Haupt would be... What about Professor Haupt, MD? I like Master, though. I think Master Haupt has a nice ring to it. You could go Lord Haupt if we want to get Game of Thrones about it. I feel like you're putting on airs with those two, but I feel like Professor Haupt, MD, could be a really awesome TV show. <laughs> I earned the Masters. I have not earned a professorship yet. So really, uh, yeah, Master is, is the most humble thing that I could possibly ascribe to myself. We had a teacher at my high school called everybody professor or master somebody, and that was great until there was a guy in our school whose last name was Bates. <laughs> and that was awkward for everybody. Hey, Paul, how was your week? It was great. <laughs> yeah, good week. Getting a lot of hate mail. It's awesome. <laughs> Perfect. We can talk no, about commenting on Instagram later. photos that have nothing to do with Ghostbusters. Much. Like, I that's, hate you. That's pretty awesome. We are a fanboy. We like comics. We read a bunch of comics. One of us picks the best comic they read. We talk about that book on the show along with other books of the week and other topics of interest. Sometimes we talk about 80s movies starring Bill Murray and Paul gets hate mail. Now, Dr. Peter Venkman did have a doctorate. He he finished yeah. his PhD. He wasn't an MD because he was be a no. post-MD or something. Right. A couple of squiggly lines. Before we get to the show, quick reminder and a warning. This is a review show. We'll be talking about plot points, things that happened in this week's book. Some people got hurt and killed, and we're going to talk about that. I don't want to spoil it for you. So if you haven't read your books yet, pause the show and come back. Everyone will be happier other than the people that hate Paul. Who people, had this week's pick of the week? I did. People got heads-bloated. So, I've, you know. Take it for what you will. I'm, I'm not a guy who loves Ghostbusters. I didn't say I hated it, but <laughs> I still think everybody should check out The Wicked Plus the Divine or The Wicked and the Divine, however you want to say it. From Gillen, McKelvey, Wilson, and Cowles, and this is the team behind Phonogram and Phonogram 2, and eventually sometime down the line, Phonogram 3, which people are very we'll get, eagerly we'll get to that in, but in a bit. Because there's a bit about that in the end of the essay. There is. It's, it's very interesting, that essay. But uh, one of the things I've loved about Image Comics of like those great essays in the back, and it adds so much to the, uh, you know, there's a pers- like a personal testimonial, adds so much to the experience of the story. But even without the essay, it would just be totally great. The Wicked and the Divine is sort of a treatise on, uh, on idols. And today we think of when, for, well, I guess when we hear the word idol, we think like pop idol. We think about, you know, pop stars and celebrity but, you know, the original, you know, use for the term, we're thinking about golden calves and things like that. And, and it's, uh, it's gods and people that we worship and revere. And those two have kind of become the same thing uh, in this day and age. So anyways, this was, I thought, just a fascinating, clever, sly look at how we revere celebrity. And it's all from the point of view of this young woman, uh, 17, named Laura in London who goes to a concert and the performer is kind of like a, you know, uh, Florence and the Machine sort of style songstress, but she's called Amaterasu, which is... Well, we don't know that because no one understands a word she says while she's singing. Who knows what she's singing about? No, but I mean, like, there's just sort of the look and the the sort of aesthetic, I think, is is very much like uh, like Mm -hmm. Florence. But but anyways, but yeah, but and and that that sort of concert sequence, I thought was a great sequence for McKelvey and Wilson. They did some really atmospheric stuff because McKelvey can do experimental art. He has a bag of tricks. We saw that with Young Avengers, but here it's mostly grids and... It's very sort of 
minimalistic. And aside from some double page spreads, and I and I went through the book. There's one instance where characters overlap a panel, and that's when we see Sakmet in Amaterasu's party. These are some fun names to remember and say. Yeah, but you know, Sakmet, goddess. Uh, Did you look uh, these up, Paul, while you were reading it? Well, I knew Sakmet was Egyptian. I was always in Egyptology, not. And Amaterasu is a Shinto god, and that's referenced here. Yeah, that, that was the only one. I mean, that and Lucifer were the only two that I caught. The mm-hmm. rest were unknown to me prior to this reading. Yeah, and so just to just to get through the um, just the, the plot synopsis real quickly. So Amaterasu is this young girl introduced by a journalist as this girl named Hazel, who is. 17 and then all of a sudden now she is they don't use the word but i guess an avatar for a god mm-hmm. or, a, or a god on earth and amaterasu is this god and she's not japanese she's as the journalist refers to a provincial girl in england and that's and she, you know that's kind of offensive and problematic but anyways laura is a huge fan of this pop idol this singer and is taken backstage by lucy short for lucifer and I think it has to be a bit of a nod to the Vertigo Lucifer series in that white suit, mm-hmm. platinum blonde hair. But in this case, it's a female figure portrayed a bit androgynously, but definitely female and brought into this party. And there's an assassination attempt by, I guess, some fundamentalist Christians. They're wearing crosses around their necks, snipers from across the way, and they shoot the gods hoping to kill them they show up later so apparently they're okay and we end up with this crazy court scene with lucy well, lucy, on trial. Lucy, lucy kills them by snapping her by fingers, snapping her fingers um, which we've seen earlier the issue opens up with some kids in the 20s in some sort of ceremony and they snap their fingers to end it so apparently snapping your fingers is uh, very important to these gods or the avatars. Yeah, and that's sort of one really interesting place where, you know, McKelvey gets to flex his muscles in terms of panel rhythms. He does some neat things with, you know, one, two, three, four, and the great opening sequence where Lara's coming out of her house and stuff. And that that comes back with the finger snaps. It's it's an icon of this book. And yeah, so Lucy is put on trial for murdering these people who were trying to kill them. But I guess it's not self-defense because the gods are okay. Nobody died. And were they shot or were their handlers all shot? Well, it looks like Amaterasu looks like she was shot. Well, then at the end it of the trial... It says there's a huge crossfire. Maybe she wasn't shot. I think just their handlers and their friends and their hangers-on were shot. But anyway, the issue ends with Lucy snapping her fingers sardonically in court, and then the judge's head blows up, and she says, I didn't do that, and that's the mystery. I don't think the gods are actually shot in the scene. But okay, anyway, yeah, yeah, it doesn't really right, matter. Yeah. This was really interesting. It was a really interesting treatise on fame and celebrity and really sort of dense. It's not one of those books you can idly read while there's something on in the background. You need to really sort of pay attention to what's going on. And Gillen's always been really good about not giving you all the information in a silver platter. You really have to work for it. But I did find it interesting that this is sort of similar in the vein of phonogram. And they talk about that in the essay, which we'll get to in a minute. I really liked it, but I also found it interesting that they just it's still that same thematic magic in the world people you know, and music plays a role music and I, I was like okay so that's fine they're good at it so it's good but well it'll be interesting moving forward because you know amaterasu is a musician but it's not like everyone else is no 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 it just it just felt very so. similar and people have said and they he he says in the essay which i guess we'll talk about now is that why isn't this phonogram volume three because it basically is the same themes he said it's different enough that it's its own story but I'd like to see these guys do a story that's not at all in this vein. That's all I'm saying. Mm. It was kind of interesting that they, you know, she talks about this being fantasy. This isn't based in the real world, whereas Phonogram has real world references and the bands are real. All the things that they refer to, those are yeah. actual, you know, DJs and stuff. And and so it touches on real life. This It might be more a more important distinction to 
to Gillen than to us as readers. Right. But that's a that you know that's a distinction for him, and, and fine if it's, if it's you know important that distinction then and maybe we'll see that you know moving down the road into further issues because this is an ongoing and that's right. exciting that they can really build something big with this. And he mentions you know we're going to go back to the Renaissance. We saw the twenties, and you know they they mentioned the fact that every hundred years or so something big happens. These avatars appear. Again. And this, yeah. Well, this is also an ongoing, which none of the phonogram right. series have been, nor I don't believe are intended to. Be. Mm-hmm. The thing is, they are now popular enough that they can do that. When phonograms came out, the first one, they were, you know, they were relatively unknown. When the second one came out, they hadn't really hit it big, and then they, they both hit it big at Marvel, and then they've come back to do their image ongoing, which is sort of the arc you take now as a creator. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that they are now in that position where they can sell a book, that they a story they want to be telling, uh, which is cool. This is a thick issue. This is like double sized. It feels like it's a double sized issue anyway. I didn't mm-hmm. count the pages, but you get a lot, a lot here. And this is all McKelvey too. Lately, he's been working with Mike Norton on backgrounds, but this is all him. Yeah, I think I, I think it's you know it's gorgeous, and I love the sequence where Laura goes into the restroom. And it's like it's like when everybody goes to like a, a Lady Gaga concert or something like mm-hmm. it's a opportunity for cosplay as well. There's a theatrical element to it. And that, you know, on the cover, she's she's got these different colored hair extensions and, you know, the, the makeup on her face and everything. And you wonder how much of this is, you know, are they just enthralled or are they just we know that, you know, people can be fans of musicians and celebrities to like a really heightened extent. Where they're willing to do crazy things. They, wor- they worship them. They, worship they, them they actually gods. worship them. So it's a really fine line between is there any kind of you know divine influence, I guess is the word I'm looking for, or is it all just you know in their heads? But everybody at the concert does end up fainting, and that's where we meet. Or having an orgasm. Or yeah, yeah, that was that was interesting too. Typically followed by a fainting. This is a pretty awesome concert, I have to say. But yeah. I think this is really interesting. Regardless of my being slightly disappointed that they were doing the same theme, I did really enjoy it. I thought it was great. I loved the, the essay, and I'm really looking forward to to more of it. So I also think uh, Matthew Wilson killed it on colors. Yep. Yes, it's a very color intensive book. Yeah, and especially like you know, there are scenes where heads doth explode. And like the color palette entirely shifts for those moments, and it's really um, striking and really kind of makes it impactful as a reader. Yeah, and and for a second, it's like this pop art thing too. Yeah, very like, much. Is so. that in three D? Because it's blue and red, and it was like, is that old school three D? I don't think there, it there's is. There's also but... some dot coloring on those pages, yes. and that happens. So yeah, it, it really it shifts the entire tone of of those moments uh, in a way that you know it's like suggests the the magical element that's occurring there. Mm-hmm. And I think you know with uh, Gillen's journey into mystery kid loki was a huge breakout star like everybody was really into that character and that carried over into young avengers and miss america chavez was huge breakout character i think we're going to see a lot of lucy cosplay conventions you know coming up i think it's a character that's going to take off very cool was it time to move on do i need to snap don't make me snap i'll do it it's a finger click is okay it's been a while since we've talked about a teenage mutant ninja turtle books but here we have a new one TMNT Turtles in Time number one. Did you guys play the game? Yes. That's my eyes lit up when I saw that title. And so this is Paul Allor and Ross Campbell on art. I think there's going to be a few different artists on this series. We're going to be, I guess, jumping from era to era. But yeah, that side-scrolling video game was huge for me. It's like, you know, like Streets of Rage, that that style of game. Yep, yep. And yeah, I was, of course, you know, born in 84. I was a huge Teenage Ninja Turtles fan. This was fun. 
This was really great, and I loved Ross Campbell's art. So what was the story of the issue? This is a new a new series, and the turtles find themselves in era where there are dinosaurs. I'm going to peg it as the late Cretaceous because there's yeah. T-Rex, and T-Rex only shows up in the late Cretaceous. Yeah, right. And even when they find themselves there, they're like, we were just hanging out, and all of a sudden... We ended up here, and we don't know if this is prehistoric Earth or if this is another planet. And they, they're running away from various kinds of dinosaurs, and maybe Ryan can, you know, reference some of them. Oh, and so, many good, so many good ones in here. I thought you might like that, yeah. The second page has one of my favorites, the Therizinosaurus. It's the one right between Donatello and Raphael with the long claws. Awesome dinosaur. Check it out. Therizinosaurus? Therizinosaurus. It's basically the dinosaur equivalent of a giant ground sloth. It's a fantastic animal. Ryan, in your career as a paleontologist, how often do you find yourself sitting back in time having to run from dinosaurs? <sighs> you know, it's really cumbersome because you're like sitting there in the museum you're trying to write, you know, paper or whatever. Somebody opens an ancient scroll. Right, and an artifact blows, and then suddenly, ugh, back in time again, here we go. And yeah, it never ends well. I mean, that's why the dinosaurs are extinct, is because paleontologists got sent back in time and we just ruined it. <laughs> They'd still be here if we had Oh, the irony of the paleontologists killing the dinosaurs. Okay, so, is this IDW? This is IDW, yeah. And so the turtles are, you know, running from dinosaurs, but also there's some utrams, which are the krang species that, you know, the brain character that you might remember from the toys or the TV show, but there's a whole race of them. And the ones they encounter are actually just field scientists and they're cataloging the animals on they're this nerds. planet. They're nerds. They got, they got no game. They're, they're nerds. They're, yeah. And, and uh, so they're not, you know, evil despots like Krang is. And then eventually some of the nastier Utrams get called in and this is going to lead to some time hopping uh, scariness. And Raphael gets kidnapped and, you know, trapped in a cage with a little, not a Triceratops. No, it looks like a combination between a protoceratops and a pythagosaurus so i mean it's the, the thing that basic idea yeah it's a small uh ceratopsian dinosaur with a frill it could be like a, a labradoodle L- a little bit well the <laughs> thing hypoallergenic yeah you know the thing like people who are sticklers for dinosaur taxonomy will like see some of these dinosaurs and complain like that doesn't look like a real dinosaur blah 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 blah, blah which annoys me because you know that's your job well no it's it's if you look at the statistics we probably have discovered you know maybe one percent of all the extinct species that ever lived on Earth. So there's going to be tons of dinosaurs back in the Cretaceous that we've not yet found. So just chill out, everybody. It's fine. It's a fun book. But even just from a layman's perspective, it looks like they did some research and, and it wasn't just pulling out of like the dinosaur coloring book. Oh, no, it's great. And lots of lots of feathers and everything. Your feathers, yeah. And yep. so, yeah, so I think, you know. Michelangelo rides a Quetzalcoatl, which is lots of fun. Yeah, so I thought that, uh, you know, Paul Allor and, and Ross Campbell did a good job there. And I, and I really love Campbell's take on the on the turtles themselves. If these, like, you know, the proportions of their legs are just kind of funny. It's sort of that super deformed idea. That you uh, are these in, in traditional manga. turtles or are these Michael Bay turtles with the nose? <laughs> These would be traditional. Yeah, let's turtles. not even get started on yeah. Michael Bay nose. It's actually they look very similar to, I guess, what's happening on Nickelodeon right now. Or it's like uh, isn't that, with Jason that, Biggs, who's that been show just is called Seth Green. Yeah. Team and T, right? So that would be the, that would be what. Yeah, I think Michael Bay is sort of like that's its own thing. I don't think that's been reflected in any of the other media yeah, at all. Yeah, so these are still the four different colored masks. They're not all red. Everybody, uh, each turtle right. has a different color skin, 
which I, I always... Why do you have to bring, bring race into it? I'm just saying, they all have different levels of green helmet. Are these like Jurassic Park dinosaurs, <laughs> or are these modern, feathered, and colorful Super dinosaurs? feathery, super colorful. And very colorful, yeah. I, I really enjoyed so, that about it. And the turtles make, even trapped in the Cretaceous in a cave, they make a pizza, which made me laugh. That was Quick. great. Yeah, they made a pizza out of like like twigs and leaves yeah, and stuff. It's kind of like, oh, like Serpentor. Like Serpentor did. Yeah. G.I. Joe. Quick dinosaur question, Ryan. Is it true that they were feathered and colorful? Is that what we're saying now about dinosaurs? Uh, depends on the dinosaur you're talking about. I mean, you got to remember that we're talking about a really diverse group of animals, you know, so it's not just a single thing. Most of the dinosaurs that were related to birds probably had some level of feathering. And, you know, it's more and more we're finding that uh, across the dinosaur lineage, there was some level of in feathering, for for lack of a better term. You know, a feather is essentially just a, a scale that's been elongated probably for like thermoregulation or for color display for mating or whatever. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's entirely probable. Are the Saurians, more, they're more, the ones more related to birds, right? Uh, the and theropods the are the most related to birds. It gets confusing. I will make this very quick, but basically the Ornithischians are the bird-hipped dinosaurs, which are the ones that went entirely extinct or not related to birds at all, which is kind right. of confusing. Then there are the Sauriscians, which are the lizard-hipped dinosaurs, which contain the sauropods, which are the long-necked dinosaurs, and the theropods, which are the meat-eaters. The theropods right. okay. evolved the velociraptors and the truodons and the tyrannosaurs that eventually became birds. So all modern birds are living theropods. So paleontologists actually now refer to dinosaurs as non-avian dinosaurs, so not birds, and then avian dinosaurs, which are birds. So do we get to remake Jurassic Park or not? That's the bottom line. They've announced that in Jurassic Park 4, there will be no feathers on the dinosaurs, which has a lot of people up in arms. My take on it is, hey, you just throw in a quick line that, you know, Oh, the frog DNA overwrote the feather part, so that's why they don't have feathers. Deal with it, nerds. Thor, God of Thunder 23. This is the final part of the last days of Midgard story, the one with Thor in the modern-day fighting Minotaur and the future fighting Galactus with his three granddaughters. Now, I don't agree with putting feathers on Thor. That was a mistake, no, artistically. That was a mistake, yeah. I don't understand why they did that. There's no evidence that the Acer would be feathered. We talk a lot about really great artists, Chris Somney this week on Daredevil, and... Mike Allred on Silver Surfer. Like, there's a Capullo. There's a lot of great artists right now, mm-hmm. but I think, I think Isad Ribic is doing my favorite work on Thor. But. And I think it's sort of like it's the perfect artist for the the perfect book. It's like it's the perfect match. Mm-hmm. You know, Isad Ribic wouldn't necessarily make sense on every superhero book. No, not at all. And and we've seen that with like the Battle That's of right. the Atom thing. That wasn't the best choice, but here it's it's just the perfect match. It's the chemistry is amazing. And working with Jason Aaron as well. And, I just uh, love that you can see the process in the background. I love that, that when yeah. uh, Galactus gets hit by the, the the black sword, whose name I can't remember. The necro sword. He right. basically turns into a bunch of scribbles. Yeah. He looks like he was he was drawn in haste at a convention. Like I just love that you can sort of see the texture in the background, and I continue to love that. There's a moment where you see somebody's back. I forget if it was Thor, or the Minotaur, or something, but just the cross hatching. Yeah, it does. Just at like someone else is just like scribble in some black, but that's one of the joys. And we think we talk about this every time we talk about this book because it's so good. It is so good, and it is so fun as you know for a process junkie. Um, again, I'm going to mention the iPad, which I got last week. Looking at this in a Retina display on an iPad, being able to just zoom in and look at that stuff seeing the process doesn't ruin the experience for me i just i, right. I love that part of it just that got that hand-drawn quality to it it reminds me a lot of when uh carrie nord was doing the kurt Busick thor run over at dark horse which was like oh yeah which was an uninked 
So it was just his pencils, then colors. Nice. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah, this really is reminiscent of that in all the right ways. And especially for a character like Thor, it, it just it makes so much sense to have it be kind of this uh, textured, gritty, not realistic, but like it looks like it was really made, not just on a computer. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is about, you know, like it works for like a Conan or a Thor or something. And, uh, you know, maybe not as well somewhere else, but for, he, for this, it's perfect. This time we know last time. Thor embraced the necro powers of Gore, the God Butcher, which had been like hovering in space. This sort of like it was sort of like, it's sort of like a venom symbiote. It was like a black evil. hole, essentially. Yeah, it's a black hole, and he basically reaches in, takes out the sword, and is imbued with those powers. And even though it ends well, ancient Galactus, whose mouth was like basically shot off, it looked like someone you know blasted him in the chin, and it was gruesome. Yeah, it was just like this gaping maw, and he he basically warned old Thor that you know this is gonna there's gonna be a price for this. You know, you can try and destroy me with that stuff, maybe you will, but it's gonna you, it's you gonna be greater toll on you. Yeah, cosmic being like Galactus and not expect the universe to respond. So I'm curious to see how that will ripple through the eternity. Yeah, Galactus eternity. has never looked more menacing and scary. Yeah. Like that's well, kind I, of amazing. And I mean also so many of the so many of the modern interpret like we've seen the Galactus corpse, I don't know how many times at this point, where it's like they yeah. show you know, that's the big reveal at the end of the issue is like we killed Galactus and are harnessing him. And so it, I feel like it's been a while since we've seen a knockdown drag out fight where Galactus is a player in his own right and is fighting against his own destruction. And that yeah. was it was yeah, cool. And, and, yeah, and speaking of a player in their own right, Roz of Shield, pretty awesome in this, just taking out trolls in the modern day. I really like that character. Apparently, pretty a lot, easy to he, kill a troll. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I thought it was a really strong wrap up to both storylines. I liked that Thor's blood caused the rebirth in Earth, and I liked that mm-hmm. it was contrasted against Thor's tears in the modern day, which killed what it fell on. I thought this was a really strong. Yeah. Tears are very really strong storyline. Imagine God tears would be the saltiest tears of all. He salted the earth with his tears, mm-hmm. and uh, well, it was good. It blood's was really, also really pretty good. salty. Really, really strong. Yeah. So, surprise addition to the lineup this week came in just under the wire for record time. The Private Eye number seven. You never know when the next Private Eye is going to strike. <laughs> I really feel like they need to keep the pick of the week in mind when they when they put this out. You know, Brian K. Vaughn and Marcos Martin. We can't. Well, once I I think the last time they put it out on a Thursday morning, and I hadn't made the pick yet, and I was able to pick that. In fact, it was number six. It was the number. Yeah, obviously not in the running for pick of the week when it was came out after your choice. So really. You know, people industry-wide make their publishing decisions based on when we make the pick of the week, which is completely random. <laughs> this so would have been a contender, I gotta say. This is really, really good, uh, even was, for the private eye. There was a great car chase in the middle. Oh, man. Or motorcycle and car chase. And then by really some great holy shit moments. First of all, I like the flashback to the private eye meeting his assistant, which was fun, which was very cool. And then we, if you recall, there's a murder mystery going on. The private eye and his client are investigating. They, they're at that creepy trailer with a creepy sex doll. And the bad guy shows up and shoots her in the face. I literally yelped when I read that because it's such, mm-hmm. first, such a great shot wherein the three elements, the guy with the gun, the girl getting shot, and then the, the witness yelling out are not at all drawn in relation to each other in real life. Right. They're just sort of... Yeah pop arty static images and it was just so evocative and and i just i really literally yelped when i saw that page it was a really great page and i just love that the central mystery of this is that this guy's trying to bring the internet back 
Which, okay, so that's something I want to touch on, is that nobody in this book calls it the internet, they just call it internet. Call it internet, yeah. Which, yeah. like, it, you know, um, P.I. says, if these guys are really trying to bring back internet, which, just removing the article makes it so awkward and foreign in a way that really helps you relate to this world. I don't know, it's it's such right. a subtle well, thing. Well, it's like, it's like saying electricity, right? You wouldn't say bring back the electricity, you'd say bring back electricity. I think that it makes it a bigger, more omnipresent... Mm-hmm. Uh, thing than the internet, right? And then they give Grandpa it's, the it's, iPad, which but is hilarious. But it's such a subtle. But you're right. It's such a subtle thing to do to change the way you feel about the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really smart. And then I love Grandpa, and I love the fact uh, he's going to try to make yeah. the iPad work. Let me see if I have an old adapter in my junk drawer, which is like we all have a junk drawer full of old adapters for electronics we don't use anymore. So many Apple ones; they keep changing them. <sighs> And I, and I love the kids these days, no culture. Because <laughs> you didn't get the um, the Star Trek reference. Yeah. Right. There's also the uh, the variation of, and we've seen this in this world, the press is the, is the authority. So the 60 minutes ambush interview in this case is sort of like the police busting down your door. Uh, which yeah, I and like. the camera guy's got like, you know, a bulletproof vest on. Yeah, it's, it's just cool. all, it's all visual. But we know from context. I think if you were, if you were teaching a college course or you had a week of screenwriting or any kind of writing on world building, you got to use the private eye because yeah. the way that they introduce concepts about how this world works, and even in you know this issue, even in number seven, we're still learning things about the way that the world operates. And we only get as much as we need to know in order for the plot to make sense. And I just, I'm completely enamored of, of what they're doing with this this series. Yep. It's amazing. So did either of you guys check out Batman Eternal 11? I did, because you told me to. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> and you um, were right. So there's been a couple of standout issues. That one I mentioned to you, Paul, with Red Robin, I really enjoyed. But for right. the most part, I'm kind of like listlessly reading this because I don't really feel very into the story. And this particular story itself was sort of jarring in that suddenly Batgirl is in, where is she? This Brazil. Is so She's in Brazil, probably to check out the World Cup. She's there trying to capture a Telemundo-esque actor or kidnap him. And I didn't know where that came from. I didn't really care. But what I really found interesting was Ian Bertram, the artist, who is a very non-DC style. When DC is a very much a house style company mm-hmm. who doesn't often let artists... They seem to allow experimentation on Batman because he's very much like a Chris Burnham style guy. I can see that, yeah. There's some Mobius bit, in there, too. Like, but it's a very... bit more exaggerated, and it looks very indie comics with an X style, and I was... I was blown away by the art in this issue. It looks very European to me. It looks, yeah, it looks like something humanoids would would put out. And so I was really taken with it. Who's that Brazilian artist? Rafael Grandpa. Yeah, this. I mean, it looks a lot like that. Which I could, yeah, I could see that. I need yeah. to, I need to text you, Paul, because I bought when I was in Panama. I bought a bottle of vodka, which I'm not a huge vodka drinker, but it was. A bottle of absolute vodka done for the World Cup, and the label art is by Rafael Grampa, and it's oh, beautiful. Wow. It's beautiful. Cool. Ian Bertram was actually, he did, there was a Batman anthology recently. I'm trying to remember what it was. Because mm-hmm. there's like they any excuse to put out, you know, an anthology. But it was several artists, and this was one that really stood out to me. Really um, interesting that they did this kind of thing. The story fine was whatever. You know, Batgirl's trying to do her thing. Alfred's trying to bond with his daughter. I didn't know existed. And then uh, Stephanie's investigating her father, who was a game show host, apparently. But I still, I still don't know it, the answer to the question. Oh, right. The one in the game show that no one would answer? U.S. City, whose name means Mother of Waters, birthplace of Bing Crosby. I suppose I could have looked it up, but I didn't. But uh, it just looked great. If you're at all in, you know, you'd like to see familiar characters done in a very different style, just leaf through Batman Eternal number 11 next time you're in the store. It's really, really 
really good looking. Mm-hmm. So while uh, Ryan Tacoma is where Ben Crosby was born, must be it then. Really quickly, iFanboy.com is brought to you in part through your purchases at Amazon. iFanboy.com/slash/Amazon is where you can do that. If you go to that through that portal, we get a little piece of the action, a little piece of your sale. If you are I assume one of the dozens of people who are interested in that Amazon phone, you can do that through com slash Amazon and help us out, get a little piece of the action, and uh, we appreciate that, as well as com slash registration, where you can become an iFanboy member for $3 a month or $30 a year, or you can donate any amount you want. Again, if you're a crazy billionaire and want to give us a million dollars, we would not say no uh, to that, and uh, we would thank you very much. So anyone who does either of those things, we appreciate Helps us pay the bills, and we could not do this show without you. We haven't talked about Nova in a while, Paul. Nova 18. Yeah, this is an original sin tie-in, and penciler David Baldion joining in. And, of course, Nova, this young Nova in particular, has an interesting tie to original sin in that he was the last person to see Uatu the Watcher alive. And that plays a role in here. And he's also the first person to discover him dead. He goes to visit. And he's like, hey, I was just, it's like, it's like Dennis the Menace going to see Mr. Wilson. And then Mr. Wilson's dead on the ground and his eyes have been ripped out of his head. (laughs) And he's just traumatized by the whole thing. And he recounts this adventure where it's like he basically thinks, I've got to, I've got to stop the murderer. I've got to take, you know, revenge for Awati's death. And the Avengers handle it. You know, and so we we see scenes that we've previously seen in Original Sin and other places where they all get hit by that blast from the orb, the the big eyeball guy, and mm-hmm. they learn these you know these flashes of past sins and transgressions, and his vision is of his absent father who was a Nova corpsman before him, and he basically sees him killing other Novas. And where his dad is right now is kind of a mystery. But by the end of the issue, Nova is like, I can't wear this helmet anymore. I can't be a part of this. Mm. What's going on here? And I like that after the blast hits and he's seen this really heavy imagery, he wakes up next to Tony Stark, who's just laying there with his face plate open. And and he says, please tell me you saw Kate Moss jump into the infinity pool at Carl Lagerfeld's Halloween Masquerade (laughs) too." Nope, me neither. You okay? And I, it just highlights the fact that Jerry Duggan is sort of a really interesting, inspired choice to write this. Jeff Loeb, of course, made sense. Zeb Wells made sense being like, a, you know, being a Spider-Man writer. But Jerry Duggan, you know, known for more irreverent books like Deadpool and upcoming, I'm really excited about Hawkeye versus Deadpool right. that they're going to do. You think, what, how is he going to be able to capture, you know, this all ages kind of vibe and, and this teenage story? And he really handily balances, you know, this, this young teenager who feels like a teenager um, balancing school with cosmic stuff and constantly making the things life miserable and yeah and the way he handles the other characters like he's he's got a really nice handle on Tony Stark just in that one moment he does a great Thor too and uh you know, I think uh, an underappreciated writer who could take, I think he's really versatile. And this continues to be a really fun book. I, I like this quite a bit. So if, if you like the, the Miles Morales stuff and maybe some of the other ultimate books aren't working mm-hmm. for you, I think try this out. Science critique. Yeah. Oh. When he's Uh-oh. flying past the moon and he looks back at it, so he would be looking at the side of the moon that's not facing us. Calling it the dark side of the moon is a misnomer, so I won't use that phrase. It, it's not It's not the dark side. It's the front-facing side, side-facing us just be the light 
rotated 90 degrees counterclockwise. Yeah. Okay. Oh boy. Silver Surfer 3. Either one of you reading, <laughs> Sorry, I one of you reading Silver Surfer? Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like a screwball comedy. It reminds me of Archer a lot. Oh, I, interesting. I, okay. I, yeah. I kind of I really dig that sort of screwball nature of it. It's sort of like what kind of ridiculous thing will happen next in the context of this story. And I all read Amazing Art Aside, which I, I'm pretty much reading it for. I really did like this issue for that tone. Mm, you know, Dan Slott's a big Doctor Who fan. And I think reading this, I think you can see that in there if you're also a Doctor Who fan. So just a lot of the wacky concepts and the names for things and the mixture of just really big ideas like the, is it the Queen of Nothing? Never. The, never a Queen? Queen of something. Whatever. It's just a big, you know. Scots. Yeah. And uh, was it like there's a musician on Coltrane 9? <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> this jazz musician and it's Coltrane with a K. And that just seems like a very and like housing like the heart of the Never Queen in a symbol crashing monkey basically right. is it's, it very much reminds me of that. Right. But, which I didn't like I didn't get until the Never Queen herself mentioned like the beat being the heartbeat of the clanging right. monkey. I'm like, that's, that's really clever. It's a, yeah, it's a really out it's there. It's fun. I think it's really fun. The all red art is just so good. And Silver server tries to reason with everybody and they all think it's a joke. So he tells them he's going to devour their planet and they all run. Like that's hilarious. <laughs> I don't know. And yeah, the art has like an, a bit of an archer feel, which I don't mean to disparage my guard, but also the comedy timing. Like it would not surprise me if somebody at one point screamed just like the gypsy woman said, mm. which is my favorite archer joke, by the way. But I, I didn't put that together. But yeah, I mean, because I, I just I mean, that's it's sort of what all reds art has always looked like. Right. But... Well, yeah, but it's mostly Allred's art combined with the comedic sensibilities of yeah. this book. No, you're right, though. You're, you're at, And I mean it as a apt. complete compliment, because, you know, Archer's great. Archer's not a bad-looking show. It's got a good artistic design. This book design, is so. also quite good. Mm-hmm. Now, was Kate Moss in Iron Man 28, Ryan? <laughs> Kate Moss was not. This is uh, this was the final issue of this Iron Man run with Kieran Gilling writing all 28 issues. So I thought, you know, we've already uh, kissed his butt enough with The Wicked and the Divine, but this was him bringing it home with his uh, Rings of the Mandarins story arc where all of the 10 Rings of the Mandarins go to people who have beef with Tony Stark and seek him out to attack him. And at one point, Malekith had a ring and all this sort of stuff. So this is this is the final battle where Tony manages to successfully recapture all the rings and uh, Pepper Potts has a fiance who holds one of the rings and Tony has, it, it really, it ties together all the threads from Kieran's arc, almost from issue one, where it was all the 451, the rogue Rigelian recorder. So it really ties everything up into as neat a package as could possibly be done with a superhero comic, including introducing Arno, Tony Stark's uh, adopted brother, who is the Iron Man of 2020. So it's like Kieran actually set the book up to hit the 2020 continuity mark that I doubt any other Marvel book is going to bother to do. Mm. But I like that. Like, uh, that's cool to me. So if you've read the series all the way through, this is a pretty satisfying payoff. And, you know, it's a it's a nice it's a nice finish to what Kieran's been building for the past 28 issues. Paul, one thing I really liked about Daredevil number four was the sort of subtle and not so subtle exploration of what it's like to not have a secret identity and be a yeah, superhero. Right. Because we've seen that before. Wally West famously was one of the big superheroes that didn't have Who? a secret identity and everybody... Uh, yeah, there's some guy, Wally West. I don't... It, his name rings a, be- rings a bell. I don't remember who he is. But, you know, people would slap his back and Keystone and stuff. You know, good job, Flash. But here, it's more like how it kind of would be. People bothering Matt for a selfie photo. There's paparazzi following him. And I like that 
look at the modern day culture of celebrity and superhero and how that would work with someone trying to save the day while people want to take his photograph. And yeah, and it is it is a scene, but you're right in that it's it's subtle in that there's also a scene going on in the midst of that. He's right. having this lunch it's not with the main Kirsten. Focus of it, yeah. Right. And so that that's just going on in the back. And she's, you know, maybe sort of a love interest and which they allude to in the previously in Daredevil. It's like maybe third you thing. And yeah, and so she's like, you know, she's casting side eye towards that. And then at the end of that whole sequence there's a paparazzi photographer and just snap. And it's a great it's a, it's a cinematic kind of cut. Yep. And then you get to totally. this next scene. And I like this whole idea with this is the year of the owl, apparently. The owl, well, it's been a couple years, I guess. He was in Age of Ultron. He played a big role there. And then he continued to play a big role in Superior Foes of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And now, as, as Matt Murdock reminds us, the first big Daredevil villain, the Owl. And it looks like he's got new powers. It's like a secondary origin for the Owl. He's trying to steal photon technology sure so you could be in his yeah in his mind omniscient you can glean information at the speed of light well it's also it's it's the thing that matt murdoch can't perceive right he's right. his right. eyes are broken as far as receiving photons are concerned mm-hmm. that's kind of cool yeah what do you guys think of the shroud as this kind of batman joke for lack of a, I did, is it a joke i didn't I didn't well, think of it that way, but well, they, I mean, they, but they literally, they literally say that, you know, in the, in the, uh, issue where he's introduced, it wasn't this issue. It was a few issues ago where right. his parents are killed in an alley and he goes to Nepal and trains. And so like they, they make it. Oh yeah. 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 You're right. You're right. So like you're he really right. is a, a Batman riff, but he's a Batman who's gone over the edge and is this fuzzy gray area between right and wrong. And I, I don't know. I just, I completely glossed over that, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. And a lot of people say that, you know, Moon Knight is the Marvel Batman, but I always thought of daredevil as more of the marvel batman so it's interesting to watch him interact with what is essentially is a batman pastiche well yeah that is interesting because yeah i I would think that daredevil would be marvel's batman but that was more during the bendis run or previously and they were like the frank miller you know the the level of tragedy right and just the tone of the of the stories but since wade's taken over it's well i guess that there have been eras where batman was more swashbuckling and you know, yep. the world traveling adventurer, but this is going back more towards the uh, the dark and dour kind of character. And his, I like that continued tragedy that he's, and, and or the idea that Daredevil was saying that he, at least the way he perceived it, he was trying to commit suicide by supervillain. Well, that's an and, interesting concept in and of itself. Yeah, it is. But I, but I like this idea that he's, you know, he has this person that he's, that he's lost and he was, you know, doing whatever he could just to get her back. And if that meant working with the owl, then he would do that. Um, the shroud is sort of the dark side of Daredevil. Daredevil's turned his back on that dark side. He's trying to be a happier, better person and not revel in all of his tragedy. And that's what the shroud's doing. Yeah, and ever since the beginning of Wade's run, he's talked about that's not gone. It's just being, you know, squashed down. And yeah. how long can you? How long can you deal it's, with? It's healthy to just squash it way down <laughs> deep. You just get a plunger, emotional plunger, and emotionally plunge that It's some pain. of that Raphael Grandpa vodka. <laughs> I like to call that just drown it a bit. And then you push it down, and then one day it explodes and you die of a heart attack. Or, <laughs> or you start a podcast called What the Daredevil, and you interview <laughs> other superheroes, and you become huge in the podcasting world. And so again, again with Mark Wade's looking at the world through Daredevil's eyes, I like the little throwaway reference to Matt not being able to eat spicy food. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I yeah. dug that. He keeps looking at his life. Okay, what would it be like to have all these powers and, you know, in ways that other writers haven't? And the idea that, of course, he wouldn't be able to eat super spicy food because of his heightened senses. He probably wouldn't be able to eat much of anything, really. Well, that's why I wrote an article for the site back when there was written content about why Wolverine would not like IPAs. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, one, yeah. no one likes IPAs. But False. I'm drinking one right now and it's delicious. They're awful. But, you know, he, he'd be eating rice cakes and lettuce, basically. Yeah. And the same, you know, same token, uh, for Somni, you know, in the final sequence, it's a great we've seen that sort of the wireframe thing that they've done for how Daredevil perceives things so that we can understand it visually. But then what does that look like when that's being taken away by the shroud? And, you know, that's how do you wrap your head around that? And it's perfectly, you know, it's perfectly lucid, perfectly easy to read and great, great fight sequences. Wonderful. Good stuff. One of the great teams. So those are the books we wanted to talk about this week. Go to fanboy.com and find the comments for this show. If you want to talk about other books that came out or talk about these books, whatever you want to talk about in the comments section for this show at ifanboy.com. And uh, let's do a couple of, or maybe at least one audience question. We'll see how long we've got left. Wes from Minnesota writes and says, since you were discussing comic book movies recently, I was curious, which were your favorites? I'm not looking for a ranking. But the ones that really stand out to you and you enjoy the most. So the one that always leaps out, I, of course, think of the best superhero film, and that's 1996, The Phantom, starring Billy Zane, <laughs> directed by Simon Winsor. Your credibility Bone. is falling through the floor. Jeffrey Bone scripts. Ah, uh, but Paul, you're forgetting about the 1994 film, The Shadow, starring the Shadow Alec with John, starring Jonathan Winters. Thank you. And Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Yes. Was, uh, I, uh, you know, my favorite still remains Superman the movie. That's, that will always be my, I think always, I mean. And second is Howard the Duck. I can't imagine any movie surpassing that one in terms of completely, perfectly capturing what I love about a character, perfect casting, funny, you know, emotional action I, Yeah, I think if we're talking about perfect, like a perfectly cast superhero, you know, Christopher Reeve and perfect scenes, uh, the prologue to Superman the movie is probably my favorite scene or sequence from any superhero movie, from yeah. any comic book movie. And we should mention, yeah, it is comic book movies. So yeah, no, so superhero that, stuff, which so. makes me want to mention Sin City. Uh, I love Sin City. Because I think Sin City, like if you want to talk about an adaptation that really works, Sin City is a mm-hmm. great film in terms of capturing a lot of the essence of what the Sin City comics were about and making it a film. Right. And really bring those characters to life. I mean, the way Mickey Rourke portrayed Marv was sort of a revelation. Oh, it's amazing. In, in, in the middle of his short-lived career renaissance. But I thought he was wonderful. And then there's obviously Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Fantastic uh, film. I'm a big fan of, uh, of Ghost joke. World yeah. in terms Ghost of comic World. book movies. Ghost World is great. Well, let's actually use this as an opportunity to talk about non-superhero movies that we, we don't get to often talk about. So oh, Ghost okay. World is sure. a great movie. I love Road to Perdition so much. What it's one of my favorite. Uh, History of Violence, is that? History of Violence is one of those rare instances where the film is better than the source material. I would agree with that, yeah. And I think Road to Perdition, Road to Perdition is also. But I think and if you take the stuff that's in the comic that they did not include in the movie, very smart choices. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's, it's, an, it's a wonderful film, and the, the book is pretty good. It's... it's solid crime book but i think what david cronenberg did with that story was, was just amazing uh great film american splendor was a really great film it's, i mean there's been there's been a lot of the non-superior variety that they've been really good really solid mm-hmm. you um, threw me with that one i'm trying now i'm trying to think because i had sort of 
you know, I was going with the. Well, you can go back. You know, you know, there's no rules here. You can you can stay in the superior. Five. I mean, I'm still, you know, I recently rewatched The Dark Knight after going to that Batman exhibit, and I still love that movie so much, top to bottom. I, you know, I actually still really like the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. It's a great. That's also a really really great. It's film. fun. Like it's you know, it's got Roth in the trench coat and Casey Jones, and like you know, Don calls him claustrophobic, and he says, "I never looked at another guy." Like that's funny. It's a good joke. It's a, it's actually pretty close to that original series story wise, mm-hmm. right? Which original. I which I blew some people's minds this weekend because I was like, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a Daredevil spinoff, and and they were totally just, a Daredevil spinoff. Yeah, well, I mean, the the when Matt Murdock was blinded, the ooze yeah. fell into the sewer, and that created the turtles. Yep. That's in continuity. So those turtles have been running around in the background of the Marvel Universe for years. <laughs> um, X X two is fantastic. Yeah. X Men United. I mean, that's got. I mean, it's it's essentially a series of really well done fight scenes. Um, you know, a friend of mine was telling me how much she liked uh, V for Vendetta as a movie. That's. I mean, it's so different than the source material, but it, it's not a bad movie necessarily. I enjoyed that. In a screenwriting class, we watched League of Extraordinary Gentlemen as an example of how not to do things. <laughs> that was the last movie Sean Connery made. Wow. We, I mean, we just really we watched it and stopped it like every two or five minutes and said, now, don't do that. <laughs> uh, the, more, the most recent Judge Dredd. Dread yes. 3D is fantastic. I'm glad you mentioned that. That was that's a very good movie and a really good example of a way to use a superhero or a comic book protagonist as a protagonist in a movie where he doesn't have an arc. Sure. Yeah. He's a force right. of nature. And Anderson actually is the more traditional protagonist. And it would be it'd be cool if they did that with like with a Batman movie or something. And didn't they announce that Anderson's getting her own comic series now? That's right. Yep. Uh, an IDW one. I, th- I think she's had some 2000 AD, but I could be wrong with that. But, but I think IDW, it's yeah, she's going to get her own solo series. I was actually out to dinner last night with some people we were talking about. We started talking about comic book movies, actually, strangely enough. And, you know, it's, I, we, we did a whole show about it recently. I don't want to get too deep into it. But really, the consensus was that Captain America Winter Soldier was, like, the best of the Marvel films and one of the better modern-day superhero films by a long shot. I think, I think it's certainly up there. The first Blade is also good. I don't like any of the Blade movies. I like the first one. Lots of people do. I'm not saying two I just is not, interesting. I just – I tried – I didn't even make it through two. I, I – I did not. I found one really boring. I, I think I fell asleep during two. It's been a it's been a very long time since I've watched any. Yeah, of them. three was a struggle, but I liked one and two well enough that I, I would revisit them if I cared to. I'm a super big fan of Superman three with Richard Pryor. The Richard, the Richard Pryor one <laughs> for lots of reasons. One of which was that was one of the only ones I had on VHS when I was a kid. But also, I think it's just the perfect Silver Age movie. Yeah, I can see that. It's such the Silver Age concept of Superman, the Smallville stuff, the science monster that they fight. You know, basically the villain is science, which is very much in the Silver Age tone of science always being a part of the story. And it's, it's sort of goofy and funny. And I still think the evil Superman versus good Superman scene is wonderful, even from a modern viewpoint. I love that. I mean, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but that's fine. But I just Christopher Reeves' portrayal of bad Superman fighting Clark Kent and then Superman himself. It was just great, I thought. Um, I love that movie. I think that's my second favorite Superman film. The Lego movie also has a lot of comic book characters in it, even though it's not a comic book movie, per se. It does. The Lego movie is a great Batman movie. It is a great Batman movie. 
because he got it on the first try, and then he runs off to join the Millennium Falcon. It was a great Batman movie, Batman Under the Red Hood. Yes. Yeah. Now that we have the Animation Brain Trust here, that was one of my favorites. They also did the, I, I love the um, the Wonder Woman movie that they did. Yes. I'm actually going to rewatch a bunch of those. I, I haven't watched in a while. I've been, they've been, it's been years since I've seen those early ones, but I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, you might you might uh, not be surprised to know that in that Lego movie, when Batman jumps up to join Han Solo and Chewbacca and the Millennium Falcon, I bow passed out from joy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when it turns out, I was like, turns out they're all dudes. I have a fanfic of this somewhere that was unbelievable but i think we've been really blessed as a community to have these really great films especially in the last you know 10 years or so but there's so many of them and there's so much so many more good ones and bad ones great depiction of characters at least amazing spider-man 2 i really like the way they depicted spider-man you know in the fire hat we actually talked about that the the firefighters yeah Yeah. I think Hellboy is a great depiction of Hellboy. Yeah, yes. yeah, in the first character. movie especially. And the second film, the BPRD characters, the side characters, I thought was was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's also Turbo, the Power Rangers movie. All right. You want to come back on the show or not? I love being on the show. It's great. Tank Girl? Can we talk about Tank Girl? I have never actually seen Tank Girl. That's good. It's been a long time since I've seen Tank Girl. But... Rocketeer! The Rocketeer, Connor! Connor, the Rocketeer! Oh, the Rocketeer is I get to keep con. coming back on the show because I remember the Rocketeer. Yes. So there's lots of great stuff, Wes, obviously, as you know, but those are something, I mean, you know, you can keep listing our favorites. Out, those. out there pick, uh, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, because it was a manga first. But the right, real quick, if you, could, if you could only own one comic book movie on Blu-ray, DVD, whatever. Own one? Own, if you only have one to rewatch. <sighs> Just one. Probably The Dark Knight. Maybe The Avengers? To get all the superheroes? <laughs> I'll, I'll I mean, just to watch that, you know, the big Manhattan sequence yeah. is, I mean, joy. on That was sort of like the fulfillment of, you know, like Iron Man and like, oh, we're going to we're going to eventually see all these characters together. And then it just like it and, you know, it was this it was always like on the horizon and then suddenly it was there and it was really fun. Yeah, for me, it's probably Dark Knight or the first Iron Man. Interesting. I'll go with Superman the movie still. Yeah, I mean, that's a solid choice. It's it's hard to deny. I literally cannot get enough of it. I've been watching it for 30-plus years, and no matter how many times Gene Hackman says Otisburg, it's always funny. So I think, <laughs> I think that I will continue to want to rewatch that movie for, for many more 30 years to come. Uh, so thank you, Wes, from Minnesota, for writing that in and allowing us to reminisce about our favorite films. If you want to be like Wes... Email us contact at ifanboy.com or call our voicemail line at 888-FANBOYS-3262697. Leave us a voicemail. Tell us your name and where you're from and keep it around 30 seconds. And now we get to the point of the show where Paul talks about Bill Murray movies. Are we doing that? No, we're not doing that. Okay, thank God. (laughs) We can talk about What About Bob. Have you seen What About Bob? Yeah, that's a good one. It's a great one. Death Therapy? Fantastic. Yeah. Let's do Baby Steps to the outro. Well, let's plug Ryan. You got anything to plug for us? Uh, Just the continuation of my podcast, Science Sort Of, which is a podcast about things that are science, things that are sort of science, and things that wish they were science. So we try to keep it weekly. We just hit 200, uh, which I don't think will be out by the time this show comes out, but it's a big milestone for us. And uh, it's, it's just... Yeah, if you are interested in hearing... Mazel nice. Thank you. And if you're interested in hearing more of the type of complaining about... Or not complaining, but the, the you know, dinosaurs talk <laughs> that came from... That was a Freudian slip if I've ever heard one. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah, check out the show. It's fun. It's you not... Should do, you should do a show on the on those movies. On the Ninja Turtles movies? Yes. Yeah, I mean, we'd have to get some sort of genetics expert. Like, I have a degree in biology, and I know next to nothing about genetics. So we'd need, we need some help. So if you're a geneticist out there listening to iFanboy, shoot me a line. Let's, let's talk. 
And where can they find that? Sciencesort.com? Sciencesort.com or on iTunes if you just search. If you just search. search. Yeah, search. if you just search it. If you just search Science Sort of. Uh, See, we could be pedantic too, Ryan. We yeah, no. Be pedantic too. It's great. It's great. I've been drinking he a del- delicious IPA. <laughs> Ron, uh, Paul, I just called you Ron. <laughs> that's the first time that's ever happened. What's Fuzzy Typewriter talking about these days? Fuzzy Typewriter, we just did a talk on Edge of Tomorrow, which that's got some fuzzy science. That was a great <laughs> movie. Sure. It's a great movie. No, I loved it. I'm just saying, like, if you're going to look at it from a science perspective. Oh, sure. But it's, listen. It's crazy. But no, we loved it. If you are like, Tom Cruise, no way. I hated Oblivion. I hated it, too. But Edge of Tomorrow was so much fun. So much fun. It I really was. Everyone I, go see that it. That was great there's yeah that was a lot of fun and uh how to train your dragon 2 i did not see that one I did, it was a great first. double feature absolutely wonderful so you've been talking about those what do you have coming up you doing all uh, our, we're doing orange is the new black but we're gonna do one episode on the whole season two you taking a break from doing uh, 25 episodes about from a show <laughs> yeah we're never gonna do anything that's more than like eight, eight episodes again so only true detective just, we'll do true detective if if doctor who is like eight or nine episodes we might do that That'll be in August. I don't know exactly how many are going to be in this chunk or if they're going to break them up. It, as long as like, but it's just if it's if it gets to be like 12 or 13, it's really tough to find new things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, so we found like that was those, justified. We found that out with those uh, Starman Booksplodes. Yeah. <laughs> those people keep asking when those are coming back. Just listen to the first couple. This is going to be the same discussion over and over again. So uh, it's hard to do those, those series shows. I, I respect all those guys who, or girls who do those like Game of Thrones shows, whatever they, you know, it's hard to talk about the same thing. I pitched over Paul over. on doing a road trip to, um, to Justified County. I can't remember its name, but Harlan. Harlan County. Yeah, we should we should do that, Paul. Let's road trip. Yeah, it was, and it also it also and it just coincided with like the weakest season to date of, of that show. So it won't be weak when we get in bar fights in Harlan. It's gonna be fantastic. Yeah, no, that won't be. All right, so check out Science Sort of and check out Fuzzy Typewriter and when you're not listening to Fanboy and all the other various shows we'll have uh Sin City's coming out soon, isn't it? Or something something's coming yeah, out. Yeah, there's soon. a yeah, new Sin City movie. That's Sin City and then Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, so listen I, Which I'm looking forward to. Photos. Connor, you're being disparaging of Guardians. I'm, of what? I'm I don't know, you just I'm seem not, not being cautious. When was I being disparaged? You I seemed not excited. I'm stoked. I think it's I'm I I'm excited. I'm with you. I, I think it's fair to say I'm not excited because I'm being cautious, but that doesn't mean being disparaging. Being cautious is not the mark of a true fan. Oh shut up. <laughs> Head over to ifanboy.com, comment on this show, talk about this week's books. Find all of our other shows, all our other special edition shows. If you like comic book films and you're a new die fanboy, we've done a special edition podcast on almost every modern comic book film, at least going back to 2006 or so. And you can find almost all of those at ifanboy.com. So check those out if you are new and haven't heard us talk about uh, those films. I especially recommend the really bad films we've talked about. Those are the most fun shows. Oh, man, you're making me think that there should be a retro movie discussion show. But We talked about that once in the past when we, we had we more have free time. That, yeah. <laughs> we had more free time, but we don't have the free time anymore. Well, anymore. regardless, you can follow ifanboy on Twitter at twitter.com slash ifanboy and facebook.com slash ifanboy. And you can follow us individually. My Twitter handle is at Haupt. Connor is at C.S. Kilpatrick. And Paul is at Fuzzy Typewriter. And finally, if you dig this sort of thing, you can write us a review in iTunes. And there was a great iTunes review that said they would have given us a 9 out of 10. But I didn't like Ghostbusters. So they so they're like average that out with a 1 out of 5. And um, we got a 5. So that was that was nice. Um, I know so, that the math works out on that, but yeah, it was. I don't know. You got a five but, um, star, so I'm I'm gonna allow it. Yeah.
spread the love around and, and remember, don't cross the streams. So while this show has been going on, in the back of my mind, I've been writing a pitch for Dr. Haupt, MD, who is a paleontologist by day, solves murder mysteries by night, and also saves lives while breaking hearts. That's my pitch. You'll be seeing that on NBC next fall. Can, can, I was thinking CBS, but... <laughs> can, no, it's a total NBC in 1984. Oh, okay. That's the show right. I'm going for here. All right. Can Megan be my sassy sidekick? We'll talk about that later. In the meantime, I'm Connor. <laughs> I'm Paul. I'm also Ryan. You're Dr. Ryan MD. Come on, Brandon. I'm not a doctor yet. I, I'll When I get the doctorate, I'll call myself Dr. Ryan. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I gotta 